Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, and dedicated to silencing the chatter about what women should and shouldn't be doing as they age. Here to bring you stories about women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, women who are leading inspiring lives that make a difference to themselves and others, are Catherine Marino and Gail Zalitsky. Hello, I'm Gail. And hello, I'm Catherine. We are delighted to welcome you to today's episode of Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Our signature is featuring women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s who lead lives that illustrate inspiring ways to learn, contribute, and make a difference as we age. The 30-minute conversation with our guest will focus on several themes that we've agreed upon in advance. Today, we're pleased to bring you Dr. Carol Joyce. Dr. Carol Joyce is a Jungian psychotherapist. She's a Celtic bard, a storyteller, singer, and playwright who incorporates song into her psychotherapy practice and hypnosis, helping women identify and love their own song line of life. Carol has been on a journey to explore herself and her capabilities since she left the convent in her 20s. As she says, it is so interesting to be a woman of this time living through half a century of changing patterns for women. A few of the themes we'll explore with Carol include her life as a well-known addiction specialist in New York City, her life as an entertainer, widowhood and its patterns, and traumatic loss. Carol, we are so pleased to have you. Thank you very much for being here. And um, do you mind telling everybody what your age is? Well, first of all, Gail, thank you and uh, Catherine for having me. It's a delight to be able to be with you and your audience. Yes, today I'm 78. Um, I've lived 78 years on this planet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> thank you. That's great. That's great. You're um, just a few months older than I am, actually. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so look at us, right? Yes. <laughs> Here we are. Here we are. The world lucky. <laughs> very lucky. Living life. Yes, so and quite a life. Right, right. So, Carol, you've really had a very interesting life. You you were in the in the convent in the, in the twenties, and so tell us what what start there. What you know? What how come you left? What what was life like for you then? Okay, well, um, you know, I come from a big Irish Catholic family, and uh, I entered the convent very young. Uh, I just turned 18 and uh, was living out a lot of uh, what I learned later in life was the constructs that my family wanted for me. And but I truly felt that, you know, God wanted me there. And I think he did. As I look back on my life, it was a wonderful period. I went into a community that was a wonderful community. I still have contact with them. I love them a lot. But I reached uh, in my 20s as I went on to college and uh the world began to open up for me. I began to have real um, sense that life was very wide and I had made a choice too soon. And it was also a part of the, uh, you know, uh, uh, late 60s when there were 90,000 people leaving the church and communities and it was a sexual revolution and, and uh, I was a part of all of this, being exposed to all of that. I was in college at Boston College, 
And I began to feel the whole container of my life opening up. And I thought, I need to find out who I am. I don't know who I am. So that became my life's purpose. I remember I was in uh, college and thinking I was sent for nursing because I was in a community, a small community, Little Sisters of the Assumption, quite wonderful. They worked with the poor in Harlem. And the first few years were, uh, first four or five years were really monastic, which I loved. I have a big mystical sense to myself and I love being in those energies. And they've held me well in life. Uh, but I made a decision uh, after a lot of prayer and counseling that I, that I had to leave because I felt like I need to know who I am. I knew I had something about learning to be the feminine in this lifetime that was very important. And so I left, it was very frightening for me because I you know, had come from a, first from family, then living with a community. And I lived with, uh, in a room actually uh, with some nuns for a while and uh, went, decided to go to graduate school. Unfortunately, um, um, God was very good to me. I was able to, I got a scholarship and grants, and so I was able to support myself, and I worked part-time so that I could finish my doctorate. So I, you know, that was a five to 10-year process. Carol, you did that all in a row? Uh, when I left the comet, yes, I, I made a decision that my container would be to find out who I was. I was going to go into therapy. I was going to go into analysis so that I would really, because I'd always been a big dreamer, lots of dreams. And uh, I had read a lot about Jung, and I thought, I will follow what is inner in me to manifest this life, to make this dream not come from what the outside said I should be, but from the inside, the seeds of who I was. And I would get help in doing that. And so I went for a degree in uh, uh, adult mental health nursing at NYU. And that was a 10-year process. During that time, I uh, also was um, working uh, in addictions uh, with St. Vincent's Hospital here in New York. And um, toward the end of my doctorate, a psychiatrist, uh, Michael Murphy, and a, a social worker and I decided to open the first aftercare city, aftercare center here in New York. And I loved working in the addictions because it, it brought me into the uh, being able to use that part of myself that had a spiritual core. And, you know, the AA program is based on the Oxford movement. And I saw people radically change. Uh, as we worked with them and also was very involved with groups and I learned the value of groups. I was the group supervisor at St. Vincent's Hospital for medical residents and for staff. And I saw the power of group. I saw it both in the AA experience that people had, but in our own experience. And uh, coming from a Celtic clan, from this big Irish Catholic family, there is a value to this connection to other people what I found is that's how we are, that we are built to relate. And relationship is the, becomes the matrix for life. And so um, it was a, like a perfect fit for me. And I did that after I finished my doctorate. I was uh, a part of this uh, center that we established and had a very thriving practice for a number of years because people just kept coming. They, they grew and they changed and their lives changed remarkably. And I was also changing, seeing this happen. 
That's what the feminine and the resonance is about, is you change, they change. We hold each other in this life. So it was an amazing time for me. May I interrupt you? Would you... Uh, please do. Yeah, would you please tell us, because um, I certainly am not clear on where this comes from. I mean, I know I'm a woman, right? So that makes me a feminine. Yes. And, yes. and all, but um, just give us a little background on what that actually means to a person. Well, it's the feminine energy. Uh, but as being a woman, we, we carry that just by our physical being. And um, it's not really been that honored in the world. It's beginning to be more but we've come through huge patriarchal energies, which uh, do not allow the expression of the feminine, either in women or in men. And so for me, it's become a, uh, a real search to identify what are the characteristics and the quality of the feminine. And she's been encased. She's been encased. And uh, much like the habit, there's the burqa, there's the hajib, that we're covered and uh, so that not seen. And if not seen, then the powers and the, um, the loveliness of the feminine and what it can contribute to society is missing. And I think more and more it's beginning to open up, but it's a lot of the woundedness that we've incurred rather than the strength, the resilience, the love, the compassion, the ability to be in quietude, the building, the ability to hold, to nourish, mm. to embrace you um you speak that like a true psychotherapist <laughs> how, how else does the uh feminine what body feminine feminine self it how uh, outside of psychotherapy how how would we recognize someone who is his um maybe feeling invisible right well, I would say, first of all, that's a reality for uh, a lot of women. Uh, and in particular, as we get older, there is a sense of not being seen. But it's also true. I see a lot of women. I've seen hundreds and hundreds of women over the years who, despite great, um, great abilities, are, are not seen. They get none of the recognition, not none, but very little recognition. They're, they're uh, selectively seen. Yeah. And um. that's part of the problem is that they're selectively seen if they fit within a certain category. And those categories are determined from the outside. Right. And the feminine energy is such a wonderful, loving, light, mm. spacious and these are psychotherapeutic words, but I think we're just beginning to define what the feminine. Instrumental is, you know, more of a masculine energy that's direct, assertive, clear, boundaried, all of that. The feminine has less of that, but it has more of the connectedness. It's a natural connectedness. Yes. When it's honored, 
Yes, right. It's a natural connectedness. I'm, I'm curious to know, how do you use song in your therapy? And, and how did you discover that you were an entertainer and, and song <laughs> had to be a part of your life? <laughs> okay, this is very interesting, actually. Um, you know, I grew up in a family where we used to sing doing dishes and stuff like that. It's very Irishy. You gonna are you gonna sing for us? Would you like a song? Yes. Sure, absolutely. Do you want it right now, or do you want it later? But t uh, just tell us a little bit about how you came into the storytelling song, and then we'd love to hear one. Okay. Well, and this is why I said I was uh, a dreamer most of my life, and I was in Jungian analysis uh, when I was doing all of my doctoral work. I was having these dreams of song notes coming up and uh, uh, myself being um, Liza Minnelli at Carnegie Hall, but lying on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't think of these. I said, what has this got to do with me? So, as we talked about it, I said, well, I had this client and every time she comes into the room, I hear a song, I hear these, this melody coming from her. So my analyst, Sylvia Pereira, wonderful, uh, wonderful, wonderful aunt, said, well, why don't you write it? I said, I, I haven't studied music. How could I write a song? She said, well, just, just try it. <laughs> so I started writing these songs. They just started coming out of me. And, um, and then I would give them to a musician to actually put them on paper, and I would record them. And I would give them to my clients and they were really transformative and it would change the therapy because they had a mirror that could illuminate the beauty of their soul. And once you get that, particularly the feminine, which is so spacious and really not seen clearly, mm -hmm. finds that a language that she can breathe in and take in and, and have a, more of a breath of her being. So that was how I started writing the songs and I, I, they just poured out of me. I had them in dreams flowing out the windows. They were butterflies in hundred masses, you know? And then I, one time I was, uh, the, the Liza Minnelli dream, I was working with somebody for, um, uh, what, what do they call Alexander Technique. Mm -hmm. I said, why aren't you singing your own songs? I was paying people to sing these songs. I said, well, I never really studied, you know, voice or anything. And she said, well, I think you should go have study some voice. So I went to John Mace, wonderful man who handles a lot of Broadway singers. He, he passed away, but I, I said to him, look, I'm a therapist. I don't, I've never really sung. And he said, I said, but I want to know if I have a voice and I want to know by four sessions, if I have a voice. <laughs> <laughs> So he had me sing, and, uh, and he said, of course you have a voice. And he said, if you had come to me when you were younger, and at that time I was like uh, 41 or 42, you would have been, you would have probably done opera. I oh said, my. what? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that explained the sort of the Liza Minnelli. But then I began to sing my own songs for the clients. and. Uh, and that led to another whole thing about singing cabaret. And I ended up doing cabaret. I would put songs together with story. 
and people enjoyed it. And I did little fundraisers, um, especially after 9-11, I did quite a few of them. Could we hear, could we hear a song from you, Carol? I'm going to sing one for you <clears throat> that I wrote for a young woman who came and she had a dream. And she was, she'd been very traumatized young. And um, she had a dream uh, that she hid her heart in a tree. And when she, um, when she would get terrified, she would go out in the backyard and, and sit up in a tree and make up stories of how her life would be rather than how it was. So I wrote this song for her. <clears throat> I hope you'll enjoy it. Have you ever hid your heart in a tree? Have you ever sent your heart out to sea? In a small boat sailing along Is a great love wanting a home? Have you ever hid your heart in a cave? Have you ever had treasures you saved? In a dark place where no one knew, it's still waiting, waiting for you. Have you ever seen a shining star in the heavens, the heavens so far, with a heart tucked into its tail, safely buried, not for sale? Have you ever had a little child whom you trusted all the while with your own heart close to theirs snugly beating through the years finders keepers so they say i am looking looking every day for the lost hearts of women and men hearts still bleeding hearts to men so if you see one beating aloud, hear it murmur, see it on a cloud. Just be warm and friendly and true. Maybe someday it will be you. You who pulses when all is down. You who loves and survives somehow. You who warms one, burns bright in all. You are heartthrob with no walls. Listen to it, the world's heartbeat. Coming through it, a sense of peace. Hidden always and everywhere. Waiting for you when there's care. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. Carol, that was beautiful. <laughs> Thank yes, you. Your patients were so lucky <laughs> to have you. What what an expression. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there, it's it's quite it's quite wonderful to be able to do and um uh, I've I've had amazing uh, changes occur with clients when that when they have this. Uh -huh. And um they move boom, they move in therapy. They move right along. What do you think happens with, with that particular client when she heard your, the song, actually her song? What happened for her, uh, she cried, first of all, and uh, she had felt so alone. 
um, and really misunderstood and like a piece of her really dissociated. She was able to come back into her body and breathe. And it, what it did for her is that it opened up an ability to paint. She wanted to paint after she had this song and she became <laughs> a really wonderful painter. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. You know, you, you, um, I think when we spoke, you said that you had done a one woman show. <laughs> yes. <What? laughs> tell, tell us a little about that. Okay. Well, this is, this is so interesting. You know, uh, again, it was one of those things about uh, dreams. Yes. And I had some spiritual experiences where there was an avatar. She's actually still alive. Her name is Mother Mira. She lives in India. I never met the woman, but she was coming to me in dreams. And um, I found out she was alive, so I decided to go and see her, which I did. She doesn't talk, she just looks at you and it's an energetic exchange, quite wonderful experience of the divine feminine. When I came back from there, I was thinking about writing a book and I didn't know why I was thinking about writing a book, but I thought I was. And I was in a, uh, a session with an energetic healer and she says, oh no, she said, I was just told this is not a book, it's a play. And I said, a play? <laughs> I've never written a play, I know nothing about a play. <laughs> So at, at any rate, I, um, I said, well, I have to find out how to do a play. And I was working with a, um, a music fellow, uh, an accompanist who I just loved. And uh, I was telling him, he says, oh, I know just who you can work with. I said, who? He said, Gretchen Cryer. Uh, she does workshops for uh, plays, and she did the first woman's musical, Getting My Act Together and Taking It on the Road. I thought, all right. So I went to Gretchen Cry, called her up. I said, look, here's the story. <laughs> I don't know playwriting. I don't even know what I'm going to write about. But <laughs> I would love to come to one of your workshops. So I went to that workshop. And out of that workshop, uh, there were like 15 people. A wonderful experience. This is the thing about following your dreams. Just keep living and being open to the where your energies are taking you mm-hmm. and met some wonderful people there. And she uh, did uh, what were like one person workshops. And I had this idea. I was going to do storytellers about other people. She said, well, how about we start with you? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and so I had told her much the way I'm telling uh, you, you, you and Catherine uh, that, um, Okay, I was in the convent, and she said, oh, okay, all right. <laughs> Let's talk about that. So uh, for I did a workshop with her for about 10 or 12 weeks, and then uh, it came out, it was the story of my leaving the convent, and all that went with that. And so uh, <laughs> then she said, you should really perform this publicly. And I thought, oh, no, no. <laughs> it's one thing to write this. It's another thing to perform it. And I've always had a, like a, a thing for mimicking and language and song. And I didn't want to do it, but my husband said, you know what? You've gone this far. You like doing this. So just go do it. <laughs> so I spent a year and a half working with Gretchen. 
and we would, uh, I ended up doing an, uh, a play called uh, Carried Away uh, at the South Sea Seaport, and it was sold out both nights. And um, it, was quite, it was quite an experience because I performed it on stage. I did the whole thing. <laughs> and that is another whole thing to be able to perform. But I took direction from her. I had done some acting when I was in school. Oh, this, this is an interesting thing. When I was in school, right, I, was a, I had the lead in the senior play. Of course. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know this. Anyway, the, the people from Valley Forge uh, Music Fair, one of their agents or whatever, came over afterwards and said to me, you know, why did you come and audition for this? I got so scared by that. I entered the convent like about six weeks later. <laughs> so oh, no. this was like a turnaround. You know. Yes. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty exciting. It was very you're, exciting. You're, you're really amazing. You know, you mentioned your husband and I, I know he passed away. And yes, there's, mm -hmm. there's been some other trauma in your life. And mm -hmm. I was especially taken by your uh, note to me about widowhood and its patterns. Yes. That could be very useful for our listeners. So do you want to explain that a bit? Okay. Well, you know, it, it's, it's like um, life has its seasons for me. And I think for all of us in general. And widowhood has been one that I was in. No, well, my husband was older than I. He was uh 13 years older than I, 12, 13, yeah. And um, so I knew on some level that he might go before myself, but he was so absolutely vibrant and such an amazing force in my life. You know, he was a professor at Columbia in journalism, and we knew journalists from all over the world. So it was a very vibrant community. So losing him uh, propelled me into widowhood, another phase of the life of the feminine. and. I suspect on some level I would have rather not have chosen it, but being in it um, is like uh, an experience of being shot to the moon and no one else being up there with you for a while. Mm -hmm. And uh, very, very painful. I mean, in the beginning, it's just all how, how does one survive and experience uh, your energetic being separate from this person I was within 30 years so separate from this very vibrant other more instrumental loving um charismatic kind of person and then who am I now after having had that sort of experience and uh frankly in the beginning it was is mostly shock and deep grief and so there's a season of great grieving. And I thought, oh, okay, after two or three years, this would be gone. <laughs> it was not. It took me quite a while, actually. And uh, partly because uh, he was so amazing. And we had something that I, I just never expected in life, the intensity of that experience. Um, and all that life that we had created, this whole container of a very vital, vibrant kind of life. And he was older and, you know, divorced and had children and there were grandchildren. And so it was all wrapped in together. So being without 
a lot of my life has been being with. So the phase of widowhood was being without and how does one walk through that field? And um, I have to say, if I change anything about that, I probably would want to walk more with others through that field. I did a little bit too much of it by myself. Um, but I kept doing the things that I do. And I had a friend, actually, I hope someday I'll introduce you to her because I think she'd be greater in your show also, who at his funeral, my niece came, my niece came up and was talking um, to my sister and she said, don't you worry, she's going to be so busy, she doesn't know what's going to happen to her. <laughs> and I really didn't, but she sort of was a good companion to me. She got me involved in the ring cycle. She's a professor of music. And we became in, immersed in opera. And so I was in a ring cycle <laughs> for about four or five times. And that's very all-encompassing, any of you that know that. So that sort of helped me through. Music helped me through. Friendship. I had a group of friends. And this I would definitely recommend for your audience. Again, it's about the feminine, that natural way of relating. We have something. And if it's built in from the get-go and honored, it can get you through any phase. And that's that thing of connecting. It's a natural in us. And mm -hmm. can own it that we're, we're, we're connected. We're all connected. And these, I had a group of friends, and for the last 20 years, we, we all celebrate each other's birthdays. They rallied around me from the minute that Dick was sick till he died mm. and afterwards. Mm -hmm. And they enabled me to breathe through this emptiness, this whole new way of being, um, and sort of were a flashlight for me, were a pillar when I felt weak, um, when I got disorganized and a little bit crazy <laughs> at times. Um, my friend Joe would say to me, you know what? You need to go back to singing. All right, call up. And I, I thought how, my voice teacher had died. I thought, how am I going to handle this? I can't do it. I said, he's dead, Dick's dead, it's all dead. <laughs> I went online, this is what I did, Googled best vocal teacher in New York City. Up comes Matt Farnsworth, who's a, a voice teacher. He was having a workshop the following week. I called him up and told him, look, I'm not Broadway. I'm a little, I'm a lady, an old lady who sings. And he said, I definitely want you to come. <laughs> 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 and so it got me back into singing and into uh, doing a cabaret, a fundraiser for the uh, university, you know, for uh, School of Journalism. And uh, so these are the steps that I've taken to sort of negotiate that, that period. Stick with friends, have some interest, do the things that give you joy. Um, and they won't necessarily come naturally. It helps to have friends to because you're in a space of emptiness uh, yes. to allow oneself to be filled. Yes, that, that's great advice. You, um, you're, you're really just amazing. I, I do have uh, one question for you. Are you going to write this book? <laughs> yes, I, I, I am in the process of doing uh, a book. 
And I, I think it may be breaking the habit. I'm not sure, but it will be um, uh, some of these, uh, some of what we've talked about today. You know, Carol, listening to your stories, uh, I'm so struck by your use of metaphor mm-hmm. and yes, an analogy. I mean, it, it's just a, a flashlight, beacon, field, breath, mirror. Yes. Um, I've sort of yeah. lost track of all of them. And I, I imagine that that is what comes through in your, your talking with clients, in your yes. songs. Yes. Your, it's basically, I think, how you, it, it, how you communicate. And it's just such a powerful, effective voice well, that you have. Thank you for that. that. Well, I think that that is true. That is part of that when I talk about being a Celtic bard and a songwriter, there is something in the early Celtic origins that I have, and I know that is true that within Celtic myth, there's usually this, there's one child that carries the ancestral kinds of energies, either poetically or songwriting or that. And for my, I think I was it in my generation. And mm-hmm. it's so natural to me, and I thank my ancestors for that, uh, because the word and the auditory and the song is like the, and the metaphor mm-hmm. is the language that they lived in. Mm-hmm. Wow. And it feels natural to me. Yes. You know, uh, time goes very quickly and we have just a few moments left. I wish we had oh. an hour left. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I, I want to ask you, yes. you're uh, 78. You're looking yes. ahead to another decade, lots of decades soon. Yes. I'm just wondering, do you think about the aging process at all? Do you have any words to leave our listeners with that might help them face these years differently? Well, when I think about aging, okay, I think, you know, we're a little more achy. uh, But what I want to say to your listeners and all you women over 70, such powerful wisdom and presence. You are so needed and uh, desired in this world, whether they know it or not. And I say this to myself every day. I'm so grateful to be this feminine presence in the world that is very chaotic. We hold it up. I truly believe this. And um, so to be able to stay mobile as best you can, that's my line. Stay mobile. Enjoy in gratitude. And Share every bit of wisdom that you have with anybody that comes in your path. Wow. Well, on that note, I hate for us to to depart, but... (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, thank you. It's been a joy to be able to share with you. Carol, it's been absolutely a delight. You've shed so many new ways of looking at things for us and our listeners. I experienced much what you did with your husband passing. Mm -hmm. My husband was older than I was, 15 Mm -hmm. years older. We were married for 30 years. Yeah. He was the love of my life. Yes. And so to hear you describe it the way you did helped me even now after all this time. So Oh, well, thank you for that, Gail. I'm so glad because it's, it's not easy. And it's, it's, it's such a gift to have had them. Yes, exactly right. Well, thank you, Carol. And uh, I know our listeners are going to love this episode. <laughs> and listeners, we do want to hear from you. 
Please share your thoughts on Facebook at Women Over 70. Ask questions. Add to the conversation. Tell us what topics you'd like to hear more about and become an active participant in our community. Invite your friends, family, and colleagues to join in. Our goal is to create an intergenerational conversation. And if you know a woman over 70 who would be a great guest, please recommend her to us on our website. Our thanks to the School of Continuing and Professional Studies at DePaul University for use of their recording space. See you next week on Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Thank you for listening to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. If you like what you've heard today, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. In what ways are you shattering the myths that women over 70 are no longer relevant or visible? How are you celebrating aging? Join with us. Make your voice heard. Find us at womenover70.com.